Well, good morning. How are we doing? You guys feeling okay? Anyone still stressed that you're not sitting in your seat and the room's all weird and you're like, I don't know how to focus? Take a breath. You're going to be okay. Anyone confident they found their seat? Like, you're like, this is the one. She was quick. I know it. That's, this is, your seat might have been the only one that didn't move, actually, right there in the corner. That's awesome. Well, hey, it's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Samer, and uh, I get to serve as a lead pastor to church just north of Atlanta. But this past weekend, I've been hanging out with the uh, high school students uh, of this church, which is amazing, taking over. Great to see you. Um, I've gotten to know Mary and Randy and, uh, over the past year or so, and I've gotten to partner a couple of times. First time here on campus, gratefully with you. As we're kind of interrupting your regularly scheduled programming, uh, a series on prayer that you guys have been in. Uh, we're not talking about that today, because I don't believe in it. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but what we are doing is uh, doing a little student takeover uh, this morning. This is how the room has been set up for our high school um, retreat. Um, and this morning, uh, we're going to conclude kind of the conversation, what we've been talking about, kind of part four of our series on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's what we've been working through with our students, um, and we want to bring it and round it all out together for us this morning. And here's kind of the tension uh, that we've been uh, wrestling with uh, with, our, with our students. Um, actually, and I don't know if this matters. I'm brand new, so it's kind of like a new song. You don't know if you really like it yet. And so um, a little bit about me from Atlanta. Uh, I've got some roots in Texas. I spent some time here. Um, went to Dallas Theological Seminary um, before moving back to Atlanta. Been married for almost 10 years. I got three little girls um, and a fourth on the way. What up? Um, it was planned, but it is the end. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so really, really grateful uh, to be here with you guys. Um, but um, so uh, the tension that we've kind of been wrestling with together over the course of this weekend uh, and the tension I want to bring you guys into today is this. You can be a Christian and not follow in the way of Jesus. You can be a Christian. You can believe all the right things and not follow in the way of Jesus. You can believe all the right things but not follow in the way that Jesus has called us to live. And what Christians, what Christians called themselves in the first century is so telling in fact, in the first century, um, Christians didn't call themselves Christians. Christian actually only shows up three times in the New Testament, and in each context, it's negative. In fact, the term Christian in the first century, um, it was given to Christians, it was a label given to Christians by those outside of the faith. It was a political term. It was just an identifier that this group of people that talked about this resurrected rabbi from Nazareth as savior and the sent one from God had become a prominent enough group of people that they needed some kind of political identifier, so they were given the name Christian. Kind of like uh, the, the emperor Nero, um, people that, that, that followed Nero were Neronian. It was a political term to just kind of identify these little Christs that claimed something crazy and fanatical about this savior from Nazareth. But in Acts, in Acts, we learn what the earliest Christians, what they called themselves. And in the book of Acts, which documents for us right after the Gospels, which documents us the explosion of the early church after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, they called themselves followers of the way. Followers 
of the way. In Acts chapter 24, the Apostle Paul, he's on trial and um, he's, you know, continues to be brought before all these courts and the high priest brings him before Governor Felix and he's standing trial and all these, you know, accusations are brought against Paul. And this is how Paul responds to the high priest and to Governor Felix. He basically, verse tw- uh, Acts 24, verse 14, he goes, look, all these things that you've said about me, they're, they're not true. I'm not guilty of any of that. However, he says in verse 14, I will admit If there's anything I'm guilty of, it's this, that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. This designation, the way, is found six times in the book of Acts. And the word the way in the Greek, it literally means a teaching in the most comprehensive sense. It also means a whole way of life. For the earliest Christians, following Jesus was not just a way to get into heaven. It was a whole way of life here on earth. Following Jesus was not just a set of beliefs and ideals. It was, in fact, a whole way of being, a whole way of doing, a whole way of serving, a whole way of loving, and ultimately a whole way of becoming like the one that called them to, to follow. And for us, if we're just being honest, right, and I live in the buckle of the Bible Belt in Georgia, okay, um, the idea of being a follower of Jesus in so many ways has become really cliche. In fact, if we're just being honest, for some of us, a follower of Jesus is a belief statement more than it is a this is how I live my life statement, That to be a follower of Jesus, we've actually, if we're just being honest, we've reduced it down to just this is what I believe rather than this is the mission of my life. And and here's the deal. You you understand this concept in many other areas of your life. Let's take it out of the realm of faith for just a second. Here's kind of the point. You can be convinced of something but not committed to making it a reality in your life. You can be convinced that something is good and beneficial and true, but not be committed to making it a reality in your life. You experience this every single day. It's actually frustratingly incredible how true this is. Okay, let me give you a few examples. You can be convinced that flossing is good for you, but you know when you go get your teeth cleaned, you might bleed out right there in that dentist chair. (laughs) They're gonna wreck you, and this is how I go out. I die, they're gonna floss me, and I'm done. You know this, you might be convinced that eating healthy is good for you, but Chick-fil-A is gooder for you, (laughs) right? You can be convinced that getting more sleep is good for you, but you watch Netflix until it asks you if you're still watching, (laughs) right? Come on, no matter how you, convinced, but not committed. So many various, convinced that something is good and beneficial and best and necessary, but not committed to making it a part of your life because it's inconvenient, uncomfortable, or difficult. And this is how you can be a Christian and not follow fully in every area of your life in the way of Jesus. And this would have been such a foreign concept to those in the first century. To, 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 
to believe and not follow, just to believe a set of ideals, but not give your whole self comprehensively over to following in every area of your life our teacher. I mean, it would have been such a foreign concept. That's why Jesus, this is what we've talked about with our students throughout the course of the weekend. His first invitation wasn't believe in me. His first invitation was come follow me. Following Jesus isn't less than belief. Hear me. But according to Jesus, it is certainly more. And we know this today, that Jesus, Messiah, the Christ, the King, the risen one, the Messiah, the sent one from God. But in the first century, many of you know, he had a different title. He had another title, I should say. Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. He was a rabbi. And just like every other rabbi in the first century, he too had students and disciples. And to fully understand, okay, to fully take that first century context of following Jesus and translate it into our 21st century context, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson on the three-tiered Jewish educational system back in the first century that gives us an insight into what it meant back then and what it means now to follow, okay? Um, so the, the Jewish education system had three tiers. And the first tier was this. It was Beit Sefer, which literally means house of the book. And this was for ages six to 10 years old, right? So this is your typical grade school. You get into kindergarten. Okay. You'd go to synagogue five days a week. You'd learn writing and, and arithmetic and math and all that and all that stuff. And then by age 10, at the end of this thing, they would have had Torah, the first five books of the Bible memorized. My kids sing baby shark, you know, it's amazing. And then at this stage, majority of the students would, have, would, would, would not be good enough to go on to the next level. They would kind of drop out of Beit Sefer. They'd you know, dabble with Torah. Then they'd kind of pick up the family trade. That's what Peter, the fisherman, would have certainly done and just kind of go on with life. But from there, the best of the best of Beit Sefer would go on to the second tier of the educational system, which was known as Beit Talmud, which was literally house of learning. This is ages 10 to 14. It's like your middle school years, right? Everyone's kind of... You know, you got the braces on and all that stuff, and you're trying to figure out life. And this was for the best of the best from the very, from Beit Safer. And this is where students, um, they, they already had um, Torah memorized, and then they, and many of them would memorize then Joshua to Malachi, the rest of the Old Testament. That's psych, what? That's crazy. That's what they did before phones and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and then, and then this is where they would learn the art of answering a question with a question. You see Jesus do this over and over and over again in the New Testament. It was, an, it, was a, it was a way of debating. And so this is where they would learn that. Then the best of the best from Beit Talmud would go on to the third tier, which was Beit Midrash, house of study. This was ages 15 and up. Very, very few made it this far. I mean, this was like the Ivy League, the honor, the AP, like the best of the best. This certainly would not have included me. And in Beit Midrash, you would get the opportunity to potentially study under and follow a rabbi. A rabbi would grill these students in Beit Midrash and determine whether or not they had what it took to follow a rabbi. Did they know Torah enough? Were they quick on their feet enough? Did they have enough potential to maybe become a rabbi themselves? And if a rabbi found a student in Beit Midrash to have enough potential, they would get the same invitation that we see Jesus give his disciples in the Gospels. A rabbi would look at a disciple, at a student, and say, come Follow me. 
and they would quite literally follow. That to be the disciple of a rabbi was a huge honor reserved for just a few, and they would literally drop everything and begin to follow him as a disciple. Now, this word disciple, it's a word that we use a lot in church, um, and and it's a great word, Um, but if you were to look up the word disciple in Greek dictionaries, and I first learned this, um, kind of this, this, uh, this detail from Dallas Willard. Um, If you look up the word, um, the the Greek word for disciple in Greek dictionaries, there's actually two other um, English translations which I actually think are maybe more accurate to what is actually happening. And one of them is apprentice, apprentice. That what was actually happening when Jesus and these rabbis called people to follow them, it wasn't just students, they were apprentices. You know this, an apprentice is one step beyond a student. I went to the University of Georgia, and I studied finance. How I got into ministry is a conversation for another day. And I had a lot of classes I had to take, right, just like you, and so there were a lot of prerequisites I had to take. And in my accounting class, I'm sitting there in an accounting class of over 300 students. I'm a student of accounting. I'll tell you what I was not. I was not an apprentice of my accounting professor. To be a student, you can just learn for knowledge's sake. But when I worked at Chick-fil-A, and the milkshakes came out for the first time. And we had to learn how to make the milkshakes. I was an apprentice of my manager as they were showing us the proper ratio of the milkshake stuff to the ice cream and how to mix it all up together. An apprentice is one step beyond a student. And so an apprentice of a rabbi, they had one goal and one goal only, to become like their rabbi in every conceivable way, to think like they thought, to do as they did, to debate as they debated, to have interpretation of Torah as their interpretation. I mean, they had one job to be just like them. In fact, we we don't know if this is true, but legend would have it that whenever a rabbi had a limp, you would see his healthy apprentices walk behind them with a limp. Next time Greg twists his ankle, you're going to see Randy up here like, oh, man. <laughs> Why? Because the goal was to be just like your rabbi, to be a carbon copy. There's a common blessing in the first century for any apprentice that was following Jesus, and it was this. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Back then, roads were only paved in major cities because it was a very expensive endeavor. So in first century Palestine, most of the roads were just dirt roads. So here was the idea. May you follow your rabbi so closely that by the end of the day, you are caked in the dust that got kicked up from the back of their sandals. Because it's how closely you followed. The ultimate goal was to be with, to look like, and to do just as their teacher did. The goal of an apprentice is to quite literally just order their lives around the lives of their rabbi. And it is within that context that Jesus invited his first disciples to follow. And while our cultural context is different today, the invitation and the goal has not changed. Jesus's teaching makes clear that to follow him is not just a matter of belief, but it is to order your life around him. Following Jesus, if you're taking notes, write this down. Following Jesus is to order your life around the way of Jesus. 
Following Jesus is to order your life, to order every area, leaving nothing untouched around the way of Jesus that he modeled and taught. Dallas Willard, I've already quoted him, he's, he's super influential in this particular area for me, and he, he wrote this. This is, this is brilliant. He wrote this in a book called Living in Christ's Presence, and he says this. He says, many people think of Jesus as our Savior, as the one who will get us into heaven, So the question often is, have I accepted Jesus as my savior? It's a great question, important question. But Dallas goes on. But we never ask the question, I love this, have I accepted Jesus as my teacher? And that's the real question. With the disciples, it began there. They began by accepting him as their teacher and then accepting him as their savior, which included, of course, their eternal destiny, was a natural outflow of that. But they started with Jesus as their teacher because we all have to learn how to live. Jesus, in Matthew chapter four, calls his first disciples. We looked at this night one. Students, remember this? He calls Peter and John and James and they're fishing and Jesus says, come follow me, Matthew chapter four. What comes right after Matthew chapter four? It's not a trick question. Matthew chapter five. There you go. You were nervous. You were nervous. Like, I think I know, but I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. Matthew chapter four, Jesus calls his first disciples. Matthew chapter five, what does he do? He launches into his most comprehensive teaching on life in his kingdom. He launches into his most famous sermon on the best way to be human. Matthew chapter 5, looking at verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down, because that's what rabbis did. His disciples came to him and he began to, how often have have we missed this because we read it so much? He began to teach them, because that's what rabbis did. They sat down and they taught. And he taught them his way. In the Sermon on the Mount, it starts out with the Beatitudes. It's kind of like an introduction into the Sermon on the Mount, kind of this upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to establish. I mean, it's like so counterintuitive, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, it's just, it just makes no sense in, from a worldly perspective. And then he kind of he launches into this idea of being salt and light. In other words, that your life, that you should live differently, that you should live, live so differently that you'd be light in darkness and salt in a world that preserves the good and that you should live in a way that benefits the world around you and ultimately glorifies your heavenly father who sent me. And then he gets into the particulars. And, and multiple times about the Sermon on the Mount, you can look at this, he said, you have heard it said, this is Jesus, you have heard it said blank. And then he gives his teaching. In other words, hey, you've heard it taught, you've heard from other teachers and rabbis this, but I'm going to teach you my way. Just a few by way of review. You have heard it said, he said, you have heard it taught, Jesus said, do not murder, but I tell you, my way is this, do not even be angry with a brother or a sister. Hey, you've heard it taught that you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, my way is do not even look at a woman lustfully because if you have, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Hey, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
You've heard it said, um, nope, hold, nope, tooth for a tooth. But my way is this. Anyone that slaps you on the right cheek, man, right cheek, right cheek, right cheek, turn the other. If anyone forces you to go one mile with them, you go two. That's why Chick-fil-A gives you unlimited sauces. <laughs> You've heard it said, love your enemy and hate, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you this, my way, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When you give to the needy, don't do it for public show. He says, my way is this, do it in secret. When you pray, don't do it in a way that impresses people out in the public square. My way is this, get to a private space where only your heavenly father can hear you. Rather than storing up treasures for yourselves here on earth, my way is this, Store up treasures where moth and rust cannot destroy. Be good stewards of what you've been given because it's not yours to begin with. Rather than look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye, my way is pull the plank out of your own eye first. Then he sums it up, kind of his bottom line, as the golden rule. It's affectionately known in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, in every area, to kind of sum it all up, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. You want to sum up my way? Do to others what you would have them do to you. We, you, you heard a couple students mention this idea of live low and live love. We talked about that last night, that the posture of a Jesus follower is someone that lives low, that no person and no thing is beneath them, and they live love because Jesus has loved us first. As followers, this is what life in my kingdom looks like. And then he gets to the end of his sermon, the end of Matthew chapter 7. And the master teacher looks at his disciples, and he's closing things out. Peter pulls out the piano. He starts playing the emotional music behind him. <laughs> and he gives them three closing images to drive home his point. And the first we'll look at in detail. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. So I've given you everything on what life in my kingdom looks like. And then he says in verse 7, chapter 7, verse 13. So enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. To which they would have thought, well, okay. I don't see the, I don't see the gate. You ask him. No, I've always asked him. You ask him. Jesus goes on, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only few find it. That Greek word road is the same Greek word for way in the book of Acts. In other words, hey, there are two roads. There are two ways. There are two paths that you could take. And one of the ways the wide gate and the broad road will be more popular. One of these ways will seem better on the surface. One of them will be easier at times. It will be more convenient for you, less costly, better reputationally, but it leads to destruction and ruin. It might seem more fun in the short term, but it will not be fun in the long term. The broad way, the way of self-gratification at the cost of anything. The broad way, letting personal desire be king. 
the Broadway, an accumulation of stuff and having an unhealthy relationship with your money. The Broadway, revenge and getting even. The Broadway, a religiosity that breeds self-righteousness and superiority that makes you think you're better than somebody else. Jesus said, ultimately, leads to destruction. A better translation, I think, is ruin, regret, pain, broken relationships, a lack of purpose, a lack of fulfillment. But he says, but there's another way. It's a small gate, and it's a narrow path. It's a narrow way. And few will find it, not because it's not available to them, but because it will be harder, and it will be the road far less traveled. But he says it's going to lead to life. It's going to lead to life, and not just eternal life, certainly eternal life, but life now, a life marked by peace, love, joy, self-control, hope, purpose, fulfillment, contentment, healthy relationships, thriving marriages, restored marriages, a flourishing and a growing faith, a high school career that has a lot more fond memories than it does regret, the rooting out of sin that will kill every good thing in your life, the full life that Jesus promised was available to us, that he came to give. It's not always going to be easy, but this way, he says, is the way to life. And Jesus makes clear, it is the narrow way. It will be the unpopular route. It will at times be countercultural to those looking in, counterintuitive, and seemingly counterproductive. But being an apprentice of Jesus, ordering every area of your life around his, come on, you know this, you're gonna bump up into moments where it's gonna be difficult. Come on. I know everyone here thinks they're like, they, they got it down, but come on, let's be real for a second. Well, don't raise your hand, but come on. Someone else telling me what to do with my money? I'm good. I'm good. I'll pass. I'm okay. It's between me and God. Yeah, okay. Loving your enemies? Loving those who hurt those that you love? I'm telling y'all, man. First day my, one of my girls comes home that someone was mean to them, I'm probably going to go to jail. I'm... <laughs> I'm going to have to retire. I'm going to have to give up my pastorship and I don't go work at Starbucks. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to jail. Lord, help me. I'm not going to let them date until they're 45. <laughs> Forgiving those that hurt you. Forgiving those that hurt those that you love. Come on. Like, reconciling with that one friend, reconciling with that one family member. Now, I've just moved on. Have you reconciled? Have you done everything you can to reconcile? I say, you just don't understand, Sarah, the relationship with my dad is complicated. I, I, I get it. It's hard. Self-sacrificial love that consistently puts you second 
deferring to your spouse constantly? Come on. Not dating like everybody else dates, honoring the other person, honoring her. Come on. Rooting out any bit of self-righteousness that makes you believe you're better than somebody else and being honest about it. Come on. But this is the way, and Jesus says, I'm just telling you, this is the way to life. This is why his way is worth the cost. And in case they still hadn't got it, he kind of uses two more images to really bring it home. So he moves on from the, the broad path, the, the, the broad way and the narrow way. And then he contrasts two trees. Do you remember this? I'm just going to paraphrase it. One tree bears fruit. It's a sign that is alive. And the other fruit does, tree does not bear fruit. It's a sign that something is dead. And then he closes with maybe my, my favorite one. I love this one. He closes. You, you've heard this. Image of these two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. And he says that the wise builder, the person that hears my words and doesn't just believe they sound good, but puts them into practice, is like a wise builder that built their house on a solid rock foundation. And the storm came and the house stood strong. But the person that hears my words that hears my teaching and does not put them into practice is like a foolish builder that built their house on sand. And when the storm came, the home's destruction was complete. And notice this about Jesus. He's not making a threat. This isn't like a do what I say or I'm gonna blow your house down situation. It's not a threat. He's just saying, I'm just telling you how life works. And there's one way that will lead to life. And it's through the small gate and along the narrow path right behind me. Because I'm going to show you the way. So at the end of the day, Jesus was a rabbi, but he was not your average rabbi. What we know on this side of history is he is a resurrected Messiah who willingly took on flesh to not only make a way, as he tells us in John 14, but to show us the way. And his message is crystal clear. If you want your life to bear much fruit, if you want your life to resemble one whose life is built on a rock foundation, if you want high school to go differently for you and better for you, if you don't want a marriage like average marriages, if you want to experience the full life that he's come to offer, enter through the small gate and follow along the narrow way. Behind me, Jesus would say, not only believing in me as your savior, but trusting me as your teacher. By being an apprentice, and ordering your life around his way. Enough with this cultural Christianity, and let's start following. I had a seminary professor. Uh, I've got some Texas roots here. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and um, got my master's there. It's also where I started dating my now wife. So I got a degree and a wife. 
<clears throat> One was more expensive than the other. Um, Some of y'all will get that one on the way home. Um, there's an evangelism class, and he just said, hey, most people that are either interested or in the faith are going to fall in one of these three categories. He said, curious, convinced, or committed. Curious, convinced, or committed. And I think with some people in this room, I would imagine there's somebody that might fall and all three categories. And for a moment, if you're in the room and you're in the curious category, here's my challenge to you. Stay curious. Don't stop asking questions. Keep asking questions of the person that keeps inviting you to church. Keep digging into the scriptures. Keep digging into the gospels. Keep seeking. Keep being curious. Keep inching up to that line of faith. Because there is a God on the other side of your curiosity. So don't stop. Keep showing up. And continue to give space for God to meet you right where you are, because I'm telling you, he will. And then for the others of you, the rest of us that might be in the convinced or committed category, let's just call this like it is for just a moment. I know everybody's like, oh yeah, but I'm, pastor, I'm committed. Yeah, okay, Listen. I'm a professional Christian, okay? And every single one of us, if we got real honest, could identify areas of your life that we are not fully committed in. Come on. There are certain areas of your life where if you're just being totally honest, you're convinced about who Jesus is, but you haven't fully committed that one area of your life over to him. So here's my challenge to the rest of us. In the spirit of that common blessing, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Here's my challenge to us. Let's get dusty. Let's get dusty. Come on, where have you fallen into just believing and not following? Come on, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. No elbows here. You don't have to tell anybody at this point. Just be honest with yourself. Come on. Like, what box are you just checking? Do you spend time with your Savior in the scriptures and in prayer? Come on, how many days consecutively go by where it suddenly hits you you haven't spent any time in either? But you're a believer. Come on, what plank have you been ignoring in your eye because you've been zeroed in on the speck in somebody else's eye? In the area of your finances, if I could just challenge you for a moment. If you don't have a plan to support your local church financially, you are not following Jesus with everything. Do you have an unhealthy relationship with your stuff or with money? Dig into that. Who in your life is really difficult to love right now? And you've made every excuse in the book as to why. I just... I don't agree with them. I don't like their theology. I don't agree with their lifestyle choices. I want to ask you to. Have you failed to love them, though? They hurt me. Is there any space for forgiveness, though? Close with this thought. Let me be very clear. Believing 
in Jesus's name is how you become a Christian. But following in Jesus's way is how you be a Christian. Believing in Jesus's name is how you become a Christian. Is it enough to get you into heaven? Yup. Is it enough to give you eternal security? Absolutely. Do you have to do anything else to earn right standing before God? Nope, just believe. That's how in a moment you are justified and you become a Christian. But following in Jesus' way is how you be a Christian. And I don't want you to be just believers. Students, I don't want you to be just believers. I don't want my kids to be just believers. I don't want my church to be full of just believers. I want you all to be followers that experience the full life that Jesus came to offer. I want you to be followers that make a difference in the world because followers are the ones that make a difference. I want us to be followers that give Jesus space to make us more like him every single day. I want us to be followers that help establish his kingdom here on earth. Come on. I don't want you to be believers that treat earth like a waiting room for heaven. I want you to be followers that show this world what heaven will look like. Come on. Don't you? The invitation is there to follow. So no matter where you are, the challenge. Stay curious. Keep inching up to that line of faith. Maybe you'll cross over. Ooh, that was the Lord. <laughs> I felt that. <laughs> and for the rest of us, for the rest of us, let's stop playing games with faith. Let's not just be consumers of church. But let's be contributors to the kingdom. Let's start to get dusty. High schoolers, love spending the weekend with you guys. Y'all gonna change the world. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. I just pray that you would give us a glimpse into what this world could look like, into what life could look like if we stopped just believing and started following. May you give us the courage to ask the difficult questions. May you give us the courage to do personal inventory on where we are and where you might be chipping away at our hearts. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Would you give us not only the faith to believe in him as our savior, but would you give us the courage to follow him with everything as our teacher? We love you. We trust you. It's in the matchless name of Jesus, we pray, amen.